that time of year again. There's a nip in the air, the holidays are in full swing, and you are halfway through another academic year. And that means Absite 2022 is right around the corner. Fear not, Behind the Knife has got you covered. We've got over 28 high-yield Absite review episodes and our trusty companion book available on Amazon. Everything you need to dominate the Absite. Don't forget to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org where you can easily access all of our podcasts and videos, register for free CME, and sign up for the BTK newsletter. And be sure to keep an eye out for our comprehensive oral board review material, which is due out in early 2022. If you appreciate what we're doing here at Behind the Knife, please leave us a five-star review. Now, take a deep breath. You've got this. All right, welcome back to Behind the Knife. We're continuing today as part of our Absite series, Hernias, uh, with Dr. Matthew Martin. Uh, it's a good review overall. Uh, it's not comprehensive by any means, uh, and it's really just the high-yield facts you need for the Absite and boards. Enjoy. Okay, well, let's let's talk about hernias. This is our bread and butter, um, and I'm sure there are going to be questions on the boards about hernias. So the underlying principle of a good hernia repair Attention free. Attention free. And most common causes of a recurrent hernia? Infection. Infection. Wound infection. So tension and wound infection. And where does hernia rank as the cause of small bowel obstructions? Uh, In the U.S., it's like second. Good. Second to adhesions. How about worldwide? First. Good. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about abdominal wall anatomy. So let's go through the layers of the abdominal wall. Uh, from the skin to the peritoneum, and we'll say it's just off the midline. So, yeah, we have your, you go through your skin, uh, obviously, uh, yep. and then you have your subcutaneous uh, fat. You go down to your yep. scarpa's fascia, Yep. Uh, and then you come to your anterior fascia. Uh, anterior rectus sheath, good. Rectus sheath, then you have your, your muscle, and then you have your posterior rectus sheath, and then you have your preperitoneal fat, and then you have your peritoneum, and then your cavity. Excellent. So you missed one. The transverse abdominis. Oh, on the side? Is the that transversal, right? Transversalis fascia. Okay. Yeah, well, that would be if we're lateral to the rectus. Oh, more lateral. Yep, okay. So, so now, since you brought that up, now we're lateral to the rectus. What layers do we go through? And we'll say we, we, went, we went through scampers and scarpas. Yep, so through campers, through scarpas, and you have your external oblique, uh, your internal oblique, your transverse abdominis, your transversalis fascia, and your peritoneum. Good. Uh, pre-peritoneal and then peritoneum. And then where does the posterior rectus sheath end? That's your arcuate so line. That's your arcuate line, yep. Yeah, which is where anatomically? Umbilicus. It's about a third of the distance between the umbilicus and the pubic symphysis, so it's below the umbilicus. What's the blood supply to the rectus? It's usually your perforators, right? Inferior epigastric. Perforators from what? Inferior epigastric, superior epigastric. Good, inferior and superior epigastric. Hesselbox triangle, what are the borders? Uh, so you have your rectus muscle, the edge of your rectus muscle uh, medially, uh, your inguinal ligaments inferiorly, and then your inferior epigastrics laterally. Good. And and if you have a hernia in Hesselbox triangle? That'd be a direct hernia. Good. And what is the inguinal ligament? That's the extension of your external fascia. Excellent. Inferior of your external oblique fascia. Okay, so what are the embryologic structures that are at or go through the umbilicus? I think of the things that are cause problems. So you have your 
uh, Eurekis that was there prior prior to that. So good. So you have your Eurekis. What about a connection from the bowel to the umbilicus? Uh, your umbilical mesenteric oh, that's right. duct. Yeah. Good or vitellin duct or meson or meckles. Okay. What's the what are the medial and median umbilical ligaments? So your median um, is uh, gosh, if I remember this right. So your median is from uh, umbilical veins, and medial is from umbilical artery arteries. So, so the medial. There's two of them. Medials are the obliterated umbilical arteries. Yep, okay. The only places where you'll have two arteries. And the median? Um, that's because of your falciform, right? Nope. The median umbilical ligament goes from, essentially goes from the umbilicus down towards the bladder. So it's your Oh, ankle. that's your, okay. That's yeah. your obliterated urachus. Yeah. 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 The umbilical vein, it goes superiorly. To the liver, it's in the round ligament of the liver. Okay, so when does the midgut herniate into the umbilicus? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) This is digging. Uh, Embryology is my favorite topic. Um, uh, I guess guess like 20 weeks. Is that usually where? So so remember, it's all done by 10 weeks. Oh, okay. So so the rotation is done. So it, it herniates at six weeks and then returns the abdominal cavity at 10 weeks. So what's the? Oh, John, you just you just had a baby. You should know all that. I know. I guess I should. Uh, yeah. So so uh, quick question in the pediatric surgery area: omphalocele and gastroschisis. So what's the abdominal wall defect in omphalocele, or where is it? It's usually to the. It's a it's a midline defect. Yep, it's the it's through the umbilical stalk. How about gastroschisis? That's off midline. It's usually to the right of the rather, right of the umbilicus. Yep, excellent. It's usually inferior and to the right. Okay, an umbilical hernia is it congenital or acquired? Typically, most are congenital. Yeah, most are congenital. What's the usual contents? You have a small umbilical hernia. It's not reducible. Like preperitoneal fat. Yeah, usually preperitoneal fat, not bound until it gets bigger. And repair options. Uh, primary or with mesh, open or laparoscopic. So who would you do a primary repair? Uh, not many people. Uh, I guess if it's less than a centimeter. In kids. Good. Yeah, so so definitely in kids, less than a centimeter. Um, and I would say any obese patient, if they give you that, you should probably use a piece of mesh. Okay, so now you have a two-year-old who is in your clinic with the parents because they have a one centimeter umbilical hernia. So you usually wait until uh, they're five years old to see if it's improved or not. Most of these will actually close by that time. Good. So many of these will close, especially if they're under two centimeters. And usually you fix them when? If they're large. Uh, before they go to, before they go off to school. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So when they clearly, they're not closing on their own and, and usually you want to do it before they go to school. Um, just for the social issues of getting teased. Um, so let's move on to inguinal hernias. So what defines an indirect versus a direct hernia anatomically? Uh, the inferior epigastrics. Good. And then indirect is where? Lateral. Indirect is lateral. Direct is medial. I always remember it as MD for doctor, medial, direct. Um, etiology of an indirect? Um, 
It's congenital. So it's yeah, congenital what? A patent process vaginalis. Good. Patent processes vaginalis. And for a direct? A direct is usually acquired, and so it's a weakness in the floor. Of the... Good. And any factors that increase the risk for developing an inguinal hernia? In uh, kids or adults? Yeah, pretty much everything that goes wrong with all medical problems. Obesity, uh, patients with COPD, uh, uh, poor nutrition, smoking. Uh, ascites, anything with increased abdominal pressure. Okay, what's the difference between the pediatric and the adult inguinal canal? Or the, the location and orientation of the superficial and deep inguinal rings? Either one. So they're more in line. I mean, it's more more in line, less of an acute angle um, in, in kids. kids. Yeah, in kids or adults. Oh, in kids. Yeah. So remember, in kids, the two rings are almost superimposed on each other, and then the canal elongates in adults, and, and that's when they're separated. Uh, difference between the inguinal hernia in a male versus a female. Well, you don't have your, your thing you have to worry about, your vas, so you just have your round ligament in the in the cord. Yeah, so no spermatic cord, so you have a round ligament. And and how would you manage that differently than spermatic cord? Well, you don't have to. It's such a meticulous dissection, you can always just ligate the round ligament. So. Yeah, you can, you can ligate it and divide it and completely close the external ring. Good. Okay, contents of the spermatic cord. Uh, your vas, you have the primasteric muscles, you have your testicular artery, you have your pinniform plexus, uh, your uh, ilioinguinal nerve. Um, what else am I missing? So, any other nerve? Uh, Iliohypogastric. Uh, uh, now, that won't be in your spermatic right. cord. Your genital branch of your genital femoral. Oh, your genital branch of your genital femoral. Branch of genital femoral. And you mentioned cremasterics. Where do the cremasterics come from? Uh, the internal oblique, I believe. Internal oblique. Excellent. So what are the key nerves in an open hernia repair? So that's your, you already mentioned two of them. So you have your ilioinguinal, your genital branch, your genital femoral, and then your iliohypogastric. Good. And what's the most commonly injured or, or involved in pain? Uh most commonly, well, I think it depends on it's open versus laparoscopic, but in, for an open repair, for an open repair, ilioinguinal is your most uh, most commonly injured. Good. And where would you find it in an open repair? At what step would you encounter it? Uh, usually, when you're open, your external fascia, I believe. As soon as you open external oblique, it's going to be right underneath. Good. How about in a laparoscopic repair? What's the what's the nerve that would classically get injured? Lateral femoral cutaneous. Lateral femoral oh, cutaneous. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and how does that get injured? Uh, usually in improperly placed uh, tack. Um, yeah, where? Laterally. Lateral. Yep, lateral to the cord. That's the classic laparoscopic hernia repair injury. Okay, inguinal hernia repair, just real quickly, describe what a Bassini is. You're sewing what to what? So the Bassini, you're sewing uh, conjoined tendons um, and the transversalis uh, to the inguinal ligament. So okay. shoulder ice? Conjoint and transversalis superior and inguinal ligament inferiorly. And a shoulder ice? I think it's the same so, thing, right? Is it in multiple layers? Same thing, yeah, multiple layers. Mm -hmm. um, advantages of a tissue repair? 
Um, you're you're not leaving a, a for material potentially to be less uh, post-operative pain. Okay. Um, Disadvantages. Uh, recurrence rates. Yeah, I think like most people would, most people would agree probably has a slightly higher recurrence and higher tension. Right. Okay. So what's a Lichtenstein repair? So Lichtenstein is the repair with a mesh. So uh, you're recreating your or reforming your floor using a piece of mesh. And so the mesh is sewn to what and to what? So to the um, con uh, similar to Bassini, so you're joining the um, conjoint and the transversalis superiorly to the inguinal ligament inferiorly. Good. How about a plug and patch? Uh, I think that you just put a patch into the, the floor of the canal and then you just you close the conjoint to the inguinal ligament, right? Okay, so, so where's the plug go? The plug goes into the direct space. Goes into the internal ring, mm -hmm. typically for an indirect hernia, and then the patch goes over and just like a Lichtenstein. Yeah. Um. So, what hernias are all those repairs good for? What types of hernias? Those are your inguinal hernias. Yeah. So, are they good for indirects? Oh yeah, they'll be good for. And are they good for directs? Yes. Yeah. Okay. What are they? What will they not repair? Ephemeral. Ephemeral. Good. So how is a, we'll say, pediatric repair? How's that different? What's your operation? Uh, yeah, so for, for pediatric repair, generally you're just doing a high ligation of the sac. Good. High ligation only. And we already talked about how it's different in the female. You can ligate the round ligament and completely close the external ring. Okay, now we'll talk about laparoscopic repair. So what are the two approaches laparoscopically? You're so you have your extra peritoneal, total extra peritoneal, uh, or pre-peritoneal uh, repair, and then you have your, uh, um, you know, uh, your traditional laparoscopic or transabdominal um, repair. So you have a tap and a tap, total extra peritoneal or transabdominal pre-peritoneal. Um, they both end up working in the same space. It's just difference of how you get there. And what types of hernias will that repair? Uh, so those will repair direct, indirect, and femoral. And femoral. What are the indications for a laparoscopic repair? Other, other than uh, preference? Uh, other than preference, so I guess if you have a recurrence, if you had, had a prior opening and you have recurrence, it gives you a, a fresh operative field. Good. Bilateral uh, will generally that's be. So that's that's what they'll ask you. It's recurrent hernia from an open or bilateral. And what is the main structure that you fix your mesh to if you believe in fixing your mesh uh i guess to cooper's good remember you're you'll you you're not even seeing inguinal ligament in a laparoscopic repair everything's based off of cooper's okay we talk about the triangle of doom what's that uh so the triangle of doom involves your iliac vessels and it's below your inguinal ligament yeah well you won't see inguinal ligament in a laparoscopic right so oh, i guess it's Below Cooper's the LAP so track. You, it's below the if you were describing it, where would you say the triangle okay. of doom is and versus the triangle of pain? Uh, gosh, I can't remember the Well, it's in the medial, the so the triangle of doom is medial to the... Yeah, the, yeah, just in general term. Yeah, triangle okay. of doom is medial. Triangle of pain is lateral. Lateral. And how do you... What's the best way to fix your mesh for a laparoscopic repair? So superiorly and medially, if you're going to fix it. Yeah, but is there a is there a superior method of 
fixating your mesh. Uh, not that I'm aware of, no. Yeah, actually, well, it's generally it's either permanent tax, absorbable tax, or tissue glue. Okay. And, and all three of those have been shown to have about the same recurrence rate. So so many people are not fixing the mesh. Tissue, tissue glue appears to be just as good as fixing it. Okay, femoral hernia. Um, who who is uh, at highest risk for femoral hernias? It's usually females, right? Yeah, good. Females and elderly. And where is the hernia defect anatomically? So it's below the inguinal ligament, and just uh, so um, between um, your pubic bone, the inguinal ligament, and the lunar ligament. Okay, but what's its orientation to the? contents of the femoral canal uh so uh it's uh medial or deep to, I guess, yeah. so medial to like medial to the femoral vein good oh, okay. yeah remember navel nerve artery vein empty space lymphatics the hernia is in the empty space so it's always medial to the iliac vein if you're looking at laparoscopically external iliac or femoral if you're approaching from below so how would you repair a femoral hernia doing an open hernia repair? Uh, so you need to do like a, like a, a Cooper's ligament repair or McVeigh repair. Okay. And what do you have to do to get there? To do to Sometimes get there. you have to divide the inguinal ligament to do that. Nope. Oh. You have to open your, open your inguinal floor? You have to open the inguinal oh, floor. Okay. Right? Um, and then what if you're doing it laparoscopically? Usually you should already cover it with a mesh, so you don't have to do much anything different. Yeah, you don't do anything different for a laparoscopic, right? Because you're, you're always covering that thermal area. Good. Okay, incarceration or strangulation. So what are the signs and symptoms that would make you worried about an incarceration and a strangulation? So any patient presenting with a small bowel obstruction. Um, Good. Obstructive symptoms are worrisome. A non-reducible hernia, skin changes. Uh Non-reducible. It's an extreme amount of pain. Yeah, severe tenderness and pain. And then there's probably one other one that's also a pretty ominous sign. Skin changes. Skin changes oh. over that bulge, yeah. If you if you have severe pain, not reducible, obstructive symptoms, skin changes, that's a strangulation. So, so you have a patient who's got incarcerated bowel, but they're non-tender, there's no obstruction. So it doesn't look like they're strangulated. What would you do with that person? Uh, well, it depends why they're presenting, uh, but obviously they need to go to the OR in the near future. To... Okay, and how would you approach it? So I would I would ask them if it's been there for a while. Is this a new occurrence? Um, yeah. How and... would you approach the repair? Oh, I would be an open repair for these patients. So yeah, you can do a standard open. Now they came in and they have obstruction, skin changes and severe tenderness to palpation, and it's not reducible. Uh, so then this is more of an emergent procedure, so you need to still do an open procedure. Okay. So what would your incision be? Uh, so it depends. Is this what we're talking about, inguinal hernias, or is it? Uh, yep. Okay. Uh, so you would do the same type of, uh, this is your, your inguinal incision, your two centimeters above the, the inguinal ligament. So what would you do, Jason? Uh, I think it's okay to start uh, and, and see if you can mobilize things and evaluate things from an inguinal approach, but have a low threshold for a midline incision if you need to do that. 
Yeah, that's if they give you that scenario on the app site that you're heading towards a laparotomy. It's chief level, I guess. Because you're going to be you're going to be resecting that. Okay, but let's say you you approach this with an open inguinal hernia incision, and there was bowel stuck in there that was dusky, and you had to resect it. So you did a resection of primary anastomosis. What are you going to do now for your hernia repair? So I'm either going to do a tissue repair or use a biologic mesh. Good. They'll usually have one of those as the answer. They usually won't have both. It's either going to be a tissue repair or put a piece of biologic in. Okay, ventral or incisional hernias. Um, biggest risk factors for forming an incisional hernia? Wound infection. Prior Wound incision. Wound infection is one. <laughs> what else? What are uh, some other Obesity, factors? COPD. Obesity, probably smoking. Oh, smoking, smoking yeah. yeah. So you have a patient in your clinic who's morbidly obese, is smoking, uh, and has a midline incisional hernia. Uh, is it, it's so, obviously not incarcerated. If it's incarcerated, then you do something more urgently, but I would get them to stop smoking first. Yeah, so that's the patient who, that's a contraindication to an elective repair. That would be a weight loss, smoking cessation, uh, and then deal with the hernia. Okay, so, but now you have an incarcerated symptomatic ventral hernia. Uh, so this is more of an urgent repair. You need to go take care of the problem. It's going to usually require a larger incision. Okay. And so would you do it open or laparoscopic oh, or either? Yeah, open. Okay. Well, pr probably either either is, is okay, okay, depending on which one you do, open or laparoscopic. So actually, I actually got this very question one time where it was like a morbidly obese, diabetic, uh -huh. uh, person who had an incarcerated hernia. And they, they, they asked whether or not you would do, you had the option of doing like a component separation, um, an open primary repair or a laparoscopic repair. And I think I would, in that patient, I would choose laparoscopic repair yeah. with, with mesh. Yep. Agreed. Okay. So again, you have, let's say you decide to do this repair open. So what are your options for doing the open repair? Uh, so you could do uh, you know, an open repair with a primary closure. You could do an open repair with a mesh. I mean, there's various places you can put your mesh, either uh, preperitoneal, retrorectus, uh, intraperitoneal. Um, so, so in general, let the, let's say you're, you're usually going to be doing a mesh repair uh, unless it's you know, an infected, contaminated field. Um, so where can you place the mesh? And generally, where, where are the anatomic locations we would say the mesh could go? Uh, so you can do an intraperitoneal underlay mesh. You can what do underlay? a preperitoneal pre placed underlay mesh. You can do okay. a retrorectus. So all those um, would be underlays. And then you can do an onlay. Or okay, an onlay. Or you and can do an, an, an Go ahead. So there's a third. Oh, like a, um, uh, an inlay? An inlay. A, yeah. Which of those has the highest recurrence rate? Uh, I think it's the, the, well, the inlay. Inlay. Yeah, the inlay is the one you do not want to do. <laughs> and you have a choice of a microporous or a macroporous mesh. So macroporous. Yeah, I think today, now we've gone to macroporous is a better product. When would you use a biologic mesh? So if there was uh, contamination or necrotic bowel, um, I would use biologic. 
Yeah, so an active infection or contamination, I think the answer now would be to use biologic. Okay, now this, this patient had a prior open abdomen, and they got a skin graft on the bowel, and now they are back to you with their incisional hernia. So when would you do their hernia repair? How do you know if, if they're ready for hernia repair? So you can do like uh, the pinch test to see if the, the, the skin graft lifts easily away from the bowel? Good. So, yeah, the pinch test, you lift it up, see if the skin graft separates from the bowel. Um, and then you've got a big fascial defect. It's 15 centimeters across. Uh, is there anything you can do to help yourself get primary fascial closure? You can do component separation. Good. So what layer, what's the main layer you're dividing to give you an anterior component separation? So in the classic anterior component separation, you're dividing the um, um, external oblique fascia. External oblique. Good. You open that up, and that'll give you mobilization on both sides. Um, now let's say you're operating on a high-risk patient, somebody who's morbidly obese. You did a laparotomy, and you're closing their fascia. Uh, is there any efficacy of prophylactically putting mesh in when you close their fascia? <laughs> controversial yeah we just had a podcast on this so. yep but what what do what do the current studies pretty uniformly say uh well there the the newer studies which are all i think on elective surgeries um say that there is uh some benefit as far as uh recurrence um, you know, longer-term data as far as long-term complication isn't there, but uh, there is some efficacy as far as recurrence for a prophylactic mesh. Yeah, I think it's pretty well established now. You can reduce recurrent, you can reduce hernia rates with prophylactic mesh placement. Do you uh, think that would? Show, what if you? I don't think that will show up on the website, like a prophylactic mesh. Do you think that would, that would show up this year? I think it's a possibility. I think it's, it's now has enough data behind it that it could. That's the other thing that I think certainly could show up is what would be your optimal method of suture closure to prevent a subsequent hernia? Oh, it's a small bite. Yeah, uh, your point five. So meaning, I think five. That, meaning five to seven millimeter uh, travel. Um, I with, think that may actually show up. With what kind of suture? Uh, so a absorbable suture, um, usually... Um, uh, a, sm a smaller suture, so a smaller needle, smaller suture, smaller bites, um, yeah. so, a PDS or a Vicryl. Yeah, so if they give you choices of, you know, an, a number one PDS with one centimeter bites, an O PDS with one centimeter bites, a 2-0 PDS with five millimeter bites, your answer is going to be the 2-0 with five millimeter bites. Right. That okay. The stitch trial, the effect is shown. Okay, I think that that's all I had on the main part. Are you ready for the quick fire? Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, again, no discussion. Just give the answer. You should know it from the, the buzzwords. Junction of the linea semilunaris and the arcuate line. Uh, spigelian, spigelian, spigelian yeah. hernia. Good. And why is that hard to diagnose on physical exam? Because uh, it doesn't it. go through, it's just the posterior layer that goes through, so it doesn't go through the anterior abdominal wall layers. Yeah, it's an intermuscular or also called interparietal hernia. You have, uh, you're doing an inguinal hernia repair, and the appendix is in the inguinal hernia sac. Oh, I forget. 
it's an amyons hernia. Yes, yes, that's right. Okay. And and if and if they had appendicitis, what kind of repair are you going to do? Oh, uh, you'll do a primary repair. Yeah. Yeah, tissue, tissue repair. repair. Tissue repair or mesh. Okay, now you have a you do in the hernia repair, and there's a Meckel's diverticulum in it. Uh, so it's like a, a, a liters hernia. Okay, now there's an ovary in it. Oh, I don't remember the name of it. <laughs> I I know you just get rid of the round ligament, but I don't know what you. That's the canal of Nuck hernia. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay, patient I don't has. Think I've... Ever known that? Okay. Patient has both an indirect and a direct hernia. That's your pantaloon Pan- hernia. Pantaloon. Okay. What's a sliding hernia? So that's when you have a, a retroperitoneal organ that gets up into the sac. So in females, it could be the ovaries, or males, it could be like the cecum or sigmoid. Okay. Is is it just that, is it just that it's inside the sac? That's it's not inside. Oh, the it's sac, part of the it's sac. Yeah. The hern- it's inside the the it's, defect. It, it actually, that, that organ forms part of the sac. Mm-hmm. That's the sliding hernia. But with the significance is, you obviously, you can't resect the sac, at least the portion yeah. that the organ com, uh, is, is uh, composed of. Okay, and how's that different from a Richter's hernia? So Richter's hernia is when it's like part of the, uh, you know, part of the wall of the bowel is herniated. Um, it could potentially be strangulated, where it's just part of the wall, not the entire uh, loop of bowel. So, so how would that be different than a usual patient who has an incarcerated, strangulated hernia? Well, you can get a strangulation without obstruction. Good. Strangulation without obstructive symptoms because it's just a sidewall of stuff. Okay. So you didn't. You're doing an opening while hernia repair, and you've skeletonized the cord, and you've looked in the entire inguinal canal, and you can't find a hernia. Uh, and you mm. probably need to open your floor. Yep, open your for floor and look for the femoral hernia. Oh, now here's the favorite: child C cirrhotic with massive ascites oh, geez. and an umbilical hernia with intermittent obstructive symptoms. Uh, so you need, so you need to. Um, Medically optimize them, potentially even uh, a TIPS to control the ascites. Usual answer there is going to be a TIPS or something to control the ascites before you fix that. Okay, so you're doing a lap angle and a hernia repair, and you tack the mesh to Cooper's ligament, and you get large arterial bleeding. The Corona Mortis. Oh. Good. Oh. Yeah. Yep, so that's the nickname for the vessel. What's the real name for it? Or what vessel have you hit? Is that the inferior epigastric? Nope. No. Nope. It's uh, it's off the uh, it's off the obturator, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's usually an obturator. It's an aberrant yeah. obturator. Oh, jeez. Okay, now you're doing an open inguinal hernia repair, and you're suturing your mesh to the shelving edge of the inguinal ligament, and you get sudden bleeding. Oh yeah. You... So what you pull vessel? the you pull the you pull your suture out and hold pressure. What'd you hit? Femoral vein. Yep, that's usually femoral vein, yeah, and you just pull the suture and hold pressure. Okay, you have a patient who was seen for groin pain, um, and you examine them, and they have significant medial thigh pain with internal rotation of the hip. That'll be your obturator hernia. Good. And what's that sign called? The obturator sign? Obturator sign or Halship Romberg oh, sign. Right. You have a patient who's one month status post an open ingle and hernia repair with proline mesh. They now have a uh, wound infection, 
and they've got a large abscess with purulent fluid around the mesh. So you need to explant the mesh. Mesh explantation. Good. Okay. So you're doing a laparoscopic inguinal hernia repair uh, or open, and you you found the indirect sac, but it's it's pretty big. It goes down into the scrotum, and you can't reduce it. I think it's ligate the sac. Okay. So so what are you going to do with the sac? Transect. Good, transect, and then what? You, you ligate it when it goes back into the domal cavity, and you can leave it open when it goes back down to the scrotum. Good. So, yeah, so you ligate the proximal end, the distal end that goes into the scrotum. What do you want to do with it? You can marsupialize or just leave it open. Yeah, that's you do not want to ligate it. You want to open it as widely as you can. Why? Well, you don't want to get a hydrocele from it. Yeah, if you ligate that, that becomes a hydrocele. Okay. Well, you guys did great. Again, that's all I have for the quick fire. So uh, hopefully that, that'll cover everything they could ask you on hernia. Okay. Yeah. All right. Great. So that does it for us. I appreciate uh, one thanks again, once again, to Dr. Martin. He's been a, a great friend for this last-minute uh, absite review. Um, hopefully this helps everybody out there who's uh, doing a little last-minute absite uh, studying. Um, hopefully it calmed a few people's anxiety. Um, thanks, everybody, for bearing with us. We couldn't all be in the same room together, so we're all actually all three in different locations. So um, thanks for bearing with us, interrupting each other. Um, and uh, until next time. Brush the absite. Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day.